Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar, where we devote an hour or so to in-depth conversations about the sport of boxing. My name is William Henry, and I'm joined today with Lavelle Jackson. First and foremost, Bill, how you doing? Doing good, man. Just happy to be here. Uh, shout out to, to my main man, Danny, who's not here with us. Hopefully, he'll be back uh, next week. Yeah, I hope so. Um, you know, since we're gonna double team it, double team this information, I think you know it's important for us to pace ourselves, man. So you know, when we had these topics this week, don't rush to get your answers out. You know, take your time. <laughs> I don't want you to, you know, mess around and not have enough stamina. You know, to, to be strong. Okay. Right, right. Uh, I hear your dad. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's been a minute since we recorded. Uh, most people probably don't know that when we did our episode as far as the pound for pound list, we did that a couple of weeks back. So we really didn't get together last week. So it feels like an eternity, you know, since we, the last time we recorded. So it's been a lot going on since then, you know, uh, 4th of July passed. So I guess that's the first question I'm going to ask you. How was your 4th of July? You doing anything special? Uh it was cool. I went back uh, to my hometown, Detroit. I saw my family, you know, uh, really manned the grill for, for probably one of the first times I've done it with my uh, father. You know, shout out to my pops. Um, but it, it was relaxing. You know, it took some time off from work. So um, it is what it is. Yeah, what, what type of grill are you, you working on? You got the electric or you got the, the, the charcoal? Oh, no, no, charcoal, charcoal. No, nothing electric. It, it wasn't gas, outdoor charcoal. Uh, put the charcoal in there, put the light of fluid on there, you know, flame it up and everything. You know, it wasn't like you, you, you almost set the house on fire. It's like, That's a fire, you know what I'm saying? I was concerned. I'll no. say that. I was concerned I was going to burn my eyebrows off, but I, I did not. Hey, if you don't mind me asking, good brother, what, what did you throw on the grill? Oh, man. Uh, there were some, you know, chicken, hamburgers. I, 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 threw some, I cooked the ribs, which was, you know, for me, it was a challenge. Uh, and there were some hot dogs and sausage. I and asked, corn. And corn. Basically, really, what I should have asked is, what did you throw on the grill? Yeah, <laughs> yeah man, for me, for the fourth, I really didn't um, do too much in terms of travel, you know what I mean? Because I'm working a summer program Monday through Thursday and it's gonna end on the 21st. So basically been stuck in my grind, um, you know, like I said, until the 21st, but I just been hanging out a little bit around here and whatnot, you know, got the crafty crab right down the, the way. So, you know, I hung out over there, um, had a good time. I think that was on the, second because that was that weekend and what i ended up catching was some ufc action when you had um israel this is out of sanya you know he was in action that weekend and then also that weekend you had kd he was requesting a trade uh from the nets so with those events that was taking place that weekend let me ask you about those two things i'm gonna start off with the kd you know what's your thoughts on kd requesting a trade from the nets uh, I just don't feel like hearing about him, man. It's just, it's sad. It's, it's uh, I'm like, what happened to basketball? It's like, I mean, you, you'll never hear about Patrick Ewing wanting to trade out of New York because the Knicks wasn't winning or he was frustrated with John Starks. Uh, you wouldn't hear about 
um, Reggie Miller trying to get out of Indiana. Um, so, so it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's, I'm, I'm all for wanting to get a ring and wanting to win. Everybody that's in the NBA wants to win a championship. But at least get at least get a team some years before you start jumping to another team. I mean, give them some years. You know what I'm saying? You, you owe it to that team. Uh, I, I get it if uh, a basketball player is bouncing around trying to get that ring at the end of their career. But I'm not sure if KD is really at the end of his career. He's kind of at his, you know, you're close to his prime or close to going to the end of his prime. So I don't understand why this whole – well, I lost one season, so I'm going to go to another team. So I, I don't understand it. It's just it's it sounds spoiled to me. Maybe I'm being harsh, but that's that's just what I how I feel. No, I mean I, it's it's hard to get. You know what I mean? You know you you have KD's, you know, quite a bit younger than me, and I try to let like the younger generation do their thing and do the, do it the way that they want to do it and how they see fit because the circumstances are a lot different now than it was in the past, you know, as far as the NBA, when I was coming up, you know, you didn't have that, what I would consider um, like a, a kind of a, a mentality where you don't really want to go through anything. If it's too difficult, then I, I just, I'm going to switch and, and go over here, you know, like that type of mentality where you kind of gritted it out a little bit more, you know, circumstance had to be a little bit more dire than that for you just to decide that uh, I want to up and leave, especially with an organization that has to me on the outside looking at yeah, unless it's something else that's going on here that we are not, you know, privy to, then I don't understand what the Nets have done wrong for him to want to leave. The other thing is I heard a, another commentator mention they were talking about how KD always would say, you know, I just want to hoop. And to me, he's been in situations where if that was the case, you wouldn't have never left Golden State. The little incident that you had with Draymond Green, I don't think that that would call for you to like up and just want to leave. If it's just about hooping, that's all you have to do. You had Steph Curry, who's kind of like the more so like the leader. You got Draymond, who is like the enforcer. So all you have to do is hoop, play your role. You know, like I say, even when he went with to the Nets, the Nets were loaded. Like they had pretty much people were talking about is this the best, you know, trio as far as scores of all time, all on one team. Him, Kyrie, you had James Harden, you know what I mean? And then the last thing is this is that this guy always, when he leaves, he he wants to go somewhere where he went to a 72, 73 win team. I'm like, come on, man. And then now he's requesting to go to the Suns, who were like the number one seed. He's requesting to go to um, the Heat, who was the number one team in the East. Like, dude, you just want it handed to him? You know what I'm saying? So it just it becomes, you know, just like, it's just nutty to me. But, you know, if they like it, I love it. You know what I mean? Man, he need to go to the Wizards, man. Go to, go to your hometown, man. Get your hometown a ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would be interesting, but I don't think it'll be too much hard work involved in that. <laughs> I don't think they would do that. Um, the other thing that I, I, I uh, mentioned as far as the Fourth of July weekend, like I said, that week you had Israel um, Adesanya, and, and not necessarily him per se, but 
he was taking on a guy named Jared Conyer um, that weekend. Again, not so much about him. I was just looking because that was a huge event. And I saw that ESPN was kind of like giving updates and the press conferences, like they had that. They were promoting it really well. You know, they had, it had a lot of coverage and whatnot. My question to you is like, UFC, do you think that it has overtaken boxing, you know, as far as a sport in terms of popularity at this point? Uh, it's possible. I think MMA in general probably hasn't um, because we're making it, we got to look at the comparison that's being made. We're comparing UFC, which is an organization within a sport to boxing, which is a sport with a bunch of organization, organizations, which I think to, to level set it, I think a more accurate comparison would be comparing maybe UFC to the WBC or UFC to the PBC if PBC had their own belt because PBC is their own promotional company. UFC, they risen to the occasion. They pretty much, you know, risen to the top of the MMA world. And really, when you look at the other organizations like Bellator and Strike Force, they're not as, you know, big or valued as, as UFC is. But also, the, the interesting thing about UFC versus boxing is, is I don't think that boxing was the intended rival of the UFC or MMA in general. When the UFC, and this is going back to a little bit of history that, that I've seen and, I, and, you know, I've been around, is when the UFC was formulated, I think, in the early 90s, they were looked at more as competition to pro wrestling in the WWE. And, and a lot of the, the pro wrestlers who, who couldn't make it because they didn't have the popular look or whatever, but they were legitimately tough guys like Dan Severn and, and uh, Ken Shamrock, they excelled in the UFC because they were real fighters. And, you know, and some of the guys who couldn't really crack it in, in MMA and UFC, you know, they studied wrestling and became wrestlers. And then it began, it began this competition where WWE would try to steal uh, stars before they became MMA fighters. Like they actually did that with Brock Lesnar, who was a, a NCAA wrestling championship. And they made Brock Lesnar a, a star in the pro wrestling world only for UFC to eventually steal him anyway. So uh, I think that was a better, I think that, that was more the attended rivalry and boxing just got into it because people start having their beef with boxing in general or whatever, whether they say fights are boring or what have you. And a lot of, and some of the fans kind of went over to UFC, to MMA in general. But I never saw those two as being rivals, rival sports in boxing and MMA because they're different sports to me. It's like, I don't know, it's like comparing football to rugby, you know, <laughs> to me. But shouts out to uh, Israel, you know. I used to follow UFC, you know, years ago when and they, they used to have their monthly pay-per-view and I used to go to Buffalo Wild Wings and watch it with, you know, my main man, you know, Chris Stranded and and, and, and Debbie uh, Stanky. So shout out to those people. All right, so let me, let's, let's quit name dropping on this podcast, okay? Um, as far as UFC, no, I'm just messing with you. UFC and boxing, as far as the popularity is concerned, I think it's, it's neck and neck. It's some pros and cons to both. I'm sure that UFC guys would probably want to cross over to boxing and get better paydays against like the upper um, high level, um, upper echelon guys. Like they, they would, would, would uh, 
relish in, in, in some of the paydays and things like that that they receive. But as far as a sport is concerned, it's, it's close. And the reason why um, is because boxing is to blame because they keep shooting themselves in the foot. You know, for one, it's a couple of reasons or several reasons why this is getting closer and closer. Because when UFC first started to ascend, um, I didn't think it was even close. But here's the reason why boxing keeps, you know, allowing this to get become neck and neck. One, it takes too long for the best fighters to fight the best. I, speaking of Israel, after his fight immediately. Now, this is he's a star in that sport. I saw where Drake, he's on the um, doing social media. Drake is like, I'm betting a million dollars on you. They're doing this great promotion, um, just like in boxing in the past. That's why I was mentioning guys like Cornell Whitaker as far as stardom, because back then, that's when big fights on ESPN, they used to show you, okay, round three, uh, Whitaker is, the, is beating so-and-so. You know what I mean? Like, they would give you up the dates on a big fight that's out there in Vegas. They'd be doing that now with some of these UFC matches. And so um, it takes too long. So after Israel won his last fight, they immediately said, and he immediately called out the next biggest dude. And so it's like, oh, okay, that's going to be a huge event. They already locked in, and the fans are already – you know, knowing that the two best fighters around that weight are going to fight each other. That doesn't happen in boxing. We just are so frustrated with the Pacquiao's and Mayweather's. Crawford and Spence still hasn't been finalized. AJ and Wilder never happened. We got Bivol and Better B like right there. Like, dude, y'all, this is strike while the iron is hot. You know, the lightweights, all of these guys with all of this potential, but they're not locking horns. And you wouldn't see that in UFC. Also, UFC only has Dana White, so you don't have that promotional issues that always take place. Oh, you can't fight him because he's with Hearn. Oh, you can't fight him because he's with um, Aaron. He's with Heyman, you know, that crossing the street type stuff. And then also, we've been the black eye with all of the bad decisions, you know. The other thing too, and, and what I noticed when I watched that fight, and I rarely watch UFC, but every time that I watch it, it's exciting. And I'll get to that point in a second. But in boxing, commentators openly say derogatory things about boxers. Oh, he's boring, he's this, he's that. You will never see that in the UFC. They always dig up whoever's in that ring. It's always festive, it's always, you know, something positive that they're saying and then um so you don't have that hate that that be going on he can't sell and they send all that type of stuff in boxing where they would never do that in ufc and then ufc on average is more brutal and it can end in any second and sometimes with boxers or in boxing you might have some people who are casual fans who don't like to see a slick boxer they just want to see somebody get their head knocked off and sometimes you may not see that and then the last thing is, is just too many belts in boxing. So that also dilutes things. And it's no um, just, it's, it's getting better now with all of these unification matches. But at the same time, we still have a lot of those issues out there because it's just too many belts. And so I think that that's why it's getting neck and neck uh, with both sports. Anything else you got on that, Bill? And you know what? You, you make some very, very great points. I think a lot of it, a lot of points you make, are good points. I think some of it hinges on the fact that UFC is basically pretty much a monopoly.
being in MMA because, for example, you know, you also have a strike force champion, you have a Bellator champion too. And those guys, they never fight UFC champions unless they have to leave their organization and go there or negotiate. It doesn't really happen like that. It just so happens that UFC just so happens has the biggest fighters. It's it's basically like WWE and wrestling, you know? So it's almost as if WBC or WBA just, or, or PBC, the, organi- the, or the uh, promotional company, just happen to have all the biggest fighters and, and no one outside that was as big. I think fights would be then be easier to be made. But I do remember, you know, like, for example, Chris Cyborg, uh, the, the MMA, the mixed martial artist, I think she was with Bellator or maybe Strikeforce. She never fought uh, Ronda Rousey. And if she did, it, it probably took a long time to be made. I remember that being a fight that wasn't going to be made and it was hard to make because Ronda Rousey was a UFC star and Chris Cyborg was a star, but she was with another organization. And it took her a while to to get in the UFC and, and fight those challenges that, and even when she got in there, it, it, it was almost like she got exposed that she wasn't as good as, you know, the the organization she was in was marketing, and and, and also to an, another point, yeah, you know, MMA in general, I mean, yeah, it's more, it's more brutal, but I think it's also a young sport too. It's still a young sport, and it still has some time before you start seeing people get injured more and more because definitely in the early 90s, it was a lot less rules. And even then it started getting regulated. And I think eventually it's going to get regulated even more. Um, And you're right. They don't really criticize, you know, MMA fighters like that. I mean, I've seen a few times, like I saw it with George St. Pierre when he decided to use a stand-up fighting boxing style against an opponent and they start calling him boring. And he gave his opinion on that. But to that point, you are you're absolutely correct. It's it's, I mean, boxing is, is almost like as a the the fan that I am is almost an inherent thing. Like you have to like boxing. You yes, it's brutal, but it's, boxing in, in of itself isn't just brutality. It's things as it's thinking that's involved in it. It's science is involved in it. It's physics, all those things that's in there. So I think if someone just looks at it like I like this because it's more brutal. It's fair play, but they're missing the, the point of, of boxing, in my opinion. They would be, but at the same time, you know, people want to be entertained. You know, and you like you said, you you go to Buffalo Wild Wings, you get a couple beers up in you, you got you some wings going, you got the crowd around, you know what I mean? The customers in there, the TVs are going. And it's like, you see that excitement and you see somebody get pinned real quick. You see somebody get kicked upside the head, you know, it's like, ah, yeah, you know what I mean, that type of thing, and who doesn't want to be a part of something like that, so, you know, and the rounds are short, I mean, I think it's, you know, they got five minutes, but at the same time, it's like five rounds, you know what I'm saying, so, you know, anything can happen at any moment when it comes to MMA, you got to be, wait, you know, be on, be weary of the, the hands, the feet, the elbows, you know what I mean, like, it's just pretty much anything goes, but yeah, I mean, we can talk about that, you know, at length, we might, you know, revisit that topic in the future. Uh, but let's go ahead and get off into these these recaps, man. You know, you had the, the fights out there at San Antonio. You got the UK that was popping off yesterday. But let's go ahead and start with uh, the WBC belt that was on the line. And that was Mark Maxayo. He was taking on Ray Vargas. Bill, uh, what's your thoughts on that, Bob? 
Yeah, this this was a pretty good bout. I mean, as soon as it started, it was like bombs away. And, and Mark Masayo, he basically, you know, he started off with a strong right hand, which within the first 10 seconds, um, which at first I was like, that's interesting. He, he, he going for the gusto. But in hindsight, he basically was laying his cards on the table and his cards was just right there for Vargas to see. What I did like about McSayo in this fight was that he was the counterpuncher. I mean, and he was a pretty good counterpuncher. That counter right was working uh, all night long, but I think that was all he had. He didn't really have anything else. And uh, Ray Vargas is so, you know, seasoned of a boxer that he was able to, you know, see it coming, you know, miles away. But even then, whenever, you know, Vargas would throw a punch, McSyle would respond immediately with that right hand. And this basically went on the first, you know, half of the fight. But when Vargas caught his rhythm, I think about around the third, third or fourth round, I mean, he could see everything McSyle was doing, you know, and he, and he was starting to use his height, his distance, you know, start to, to jab more. And McSyle just started getting, you know, sloppier as the fight went on. Now, McSyle did catch Vargas, you know, with, with the counter right hand and put Vargas down in the ninth round. And it was interesting because, you know, I could, this is something I could see happening. I could see McSyle catching Vargas in a fight that Vargas was winning. But once Vargas got up, McSyle never really capitalized on it. Um, and even in the, the next round, uh, he did something that I, I just just totally didn't like. It was like he fought sloppy all this time, right? And once he had Vargas hurt, he started peppering with, with jazz and trying to set punches up, which wasn't working when that was the time he should have been, you know, wild and really going for the gusto and trying to get Vargas out of there. And once uh, I think the tenth pound, the 10th round passed, I think that that shit had already sailed. <laughs> And uh, I think McSyle, he's going to look back on this and he's going to be kicking himself, you know, for a long time because even though Vargas is really winning this fight, this was a fight. It was a window in that 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 ninth round where it was winnable for uh, McSyle. And even the next round, it was, it, was a, it was a winnable fight and McSyle didn't really capitalize on it, you know. But fair play to him because he tried. It was his first defense. He, did, he, he fought to what he could. But props to Ray Vargas. Uh, Ray Vargas, it was an impressive uh, performance getting off that, that, that mat, and he really composed himself, and he really got those last two rounds, which won, won in the fight. Uh, on my card, I had it 114 to, to 113, and I didn't have a problem with 115 and 112. I just didn't see uh, McSyle doing enough to win this fight. Yeah, I thought that uh, Ray, he used his length and output to take the WBC title from Mark McSyle. And when you look at the punch stats, Vargas held uh, 196 to 132 overall connect percentage or connect advantage over um, McSyle and Vargas threw 236 more punches than McSyle. And in the end, I just think that McSyle, he's gonna wish that he was more active in trying to retain that belt. Um, based on what I saw in the scores, the scores were 115, 112 for Vargas, 114, 113 for McSayo, and it was 115, 112 for Vargas. So he did win by a split decision. When you also look at the punch stats, what you would notice is that 
Vargas, he outlanded McSyle in every round with the exception of the first, the 10th, and the 11th. And when the fight started, McSyle, he started off, like I said, he, he hit him with the, the right hands, you know, out the gate. But from rounds two through the middle rounds, Vargas, he was using that jab, and then he was using also a counter uppercut that he was catching McSyle with as he would lunge forward. And he also lunged forward ineffectively a lot. He could have, like you said, he could have utilized the jab a lot more effectively to get on the inside to throw that big right hand, but he fell in love with it too much after he had the initial success in the first. McSyle, he um, did catch Vargas in that ninth because Vargas with that uppercut, he was trying to catch him with an uppercut, but he ended up getting caught and getting dropped. And I thought that in the 10th round, he was shaky. He was still shaky in the 10th. But McSyle, I just think that he just, he didn't, like you say, he just didn't have the right strategy in trying to finish him off. And also, you have to cut. Um, McSyle did, well, it was a headbutt that ended up causing a cut on Vargas. But it really didn't play a factor in the fight. Um, a couple other things is that Vargas, I had it where I, I thought Vargas won because, like I said, he was just too ineffective and not. I'm talking about um, McSyle. Um, yeah, he just wasn't active enough. And then he also just wasn't accurate enough. You know what I mean? So active and, and accurate, that, that was a recipe for disaster. Ray Vargas showed me something yesterday. I thought pretty much that this fight would play out similarly to the way it did. I thought Vargas was going to have success, but I thought that it was going to come a point where McSyle was going to catch him with something, but I thought that he would be able to finish him off once he ended up getting into trouble, but he just wasn't able to do it. Didn't have the, the right game plan. So Vargas, he moves to 38-0 uh, with 22 KOs. And now he's in line for a big fight. So he could conceivably look to fight somebody like a Leo Santa Cruz, because Santa Cruz still has that WBA belt. He might be fighting somebody like Brandon Figueroa, who just moved up. I'm not sure if any of these guys is going to want to take on Gary Russell because Russell doesn't have a belt. And it's some more lucrative options out there that's available. The last thing I'm going to say is this, is that had I known that Nacho Bernstein was in Ray Vargas's corner and that I knew Mark McSyle was trained by Freddie Roach, I would have definitely predicted that Vargas would have won this fight because I think that Nacho Bernstein is kind of like Freddie Roach's kryptonite. You know what I mean? Like with the Marquez Pacquiao, he ended up orchestrating what Marquez did against Pacquiao and how successful he was against Pacquiao. Because to me, it's like Nacho Bernstein is one of the upper echelon trainers. And he's like a Phil Jackson, like, now, if you have somebody that's as dynamic as a Floyd Mayweather against somebody like a Marquez or something like that, that might be a little bit more of a daunting task. But if you got guys that are relatively even and you have these two trainers who are in the corners, I got to lean towards Nacho Bernstein and whoever it is that he's training against Freddie. No knock against Freddie Rose. He's a pretty good trainer as well. But it's like Phil Jackson against George, George Carl or Phil Jackson against Rick Adelman or something like that. You know what I mean? You just have to go with the more um, astute, you know, trainer or astute coach. You know what I mean? But all in all, it's a good win for Ray Vargas. And uh, I look forward to seeing what he's going to do in the future. You got anything else on that fight, Bill? No, sir. Now, also yesterday, there was a 
heavyweight bout uh, between two uh, gladiators of the glamour division. Uh, I'm talking about Derek Chisora and Kabrat Pulif. Uh, I, I understand, Will, you, ch- you checked that fight out. What were your thoughts on it? What were your thoughts on Chisora's performance? Yeah, I checked it out. I had just got in and they were kind of doing the last minute hyping up the fight before both guys entered the ring. And once they announced Chisora, it was more, it was like a homecoming for him. You know what I'm saying? A, a much deserved, you know, because he had a lot of fights on the road. And he also had a lot of fights where he got the bad end of some of the decisions. And that didn't happen in this fight. But also what I noticed when a fight first started is that Derek Chisora, he's won more belts that I've never heard of than any other fighter in the history of boxing. They just rattled off like 12 different belts that he had. Um, and I was like, dang, I didn't even know those belts existed. The other thing that I noticed, like after about the fifth, sixth round, is whoever is a sanctioned body, don't ever let David Hay be a judge because <laughs> he is too biased. Like he was everything that was going on, he was given the benefit of the doubt to to war, the war man Derek Chisora. Now, when a fight started, it was sloppy. Like it was a lot of sloppy action going on. Chisora in the first round, he was he was trying to make it real physical. You know what I mean? In that round, was a lot of holding, but to me, Chisora just landed a little bit more. Um, in that round, but he was real, real physical with Pulev. But Pulev was was trying to, you know, land his, his right hand, and he was just trying to wait for Chisora to slow down. So anytime that he would get on the inside, he would kind of hold him and then, you know, kind of like push him down a little bit, you know, waiting for the referee to come break him up. So he was doing that sort of thing. And I thought, like, the second round, that's when Pulev started to get his jab together. He started to get his rhythm. And Tesoro, he was missing a lot with the big right hands, but he was doing a lot of good body work, though, as well. By the time you make it to, like, the second, third round, my thing was, is Tesoro going to be able to keep up that pace? You know, is he going to be able to keep up that tempo? Because around the third, I noticed how Pulev, he was just doing his thing, but he was real calm the way he was going about doing it. And I thought that Derek was, like, slowly slowing down. And much of the action in the middle rounds, it was very sloppy. I just thought Pulev was a little bit more effective. You had a, about two or three head clashes. What the first head clash was like around round five. And they went to the corner in round five, and his corner was telling them something. I don't think Chisora was really buying into what his corner was saying. He was like, you, you're doing great. You're doing this. You're doing that. And that, he was just so tired. He's like looking to see like what round it was and everything. And also, Pulev in the fight, he had a lot against them because not only did the crowd, every time that Desor would do something, they would roar, but he also had to go against like the, the ref, you know what I mean? The commentating and everything. I'm sure he didn't hear what was going on as far as the commentating, but the referee, every time it was, a few times he may have worn Desor a little bit, but it was time, Desor was using his head. Um, he was holding just as much as Pulev, but the referee kept warning Pulev about holding. But he had some like some huge gashes um, above both of his eyes, um, and so to me this fight and it went down to the wire like so around the eighth round that's like one of the best rounds of the of the year so far. You know what I mean? Um, Pulev was landing some big shots on him, and then Chisora like come right back and land some of his own. Um, it was like a seventh and eighth one, like really great rounds, and just towards the end 
you have to respect both guys because Jasura was dog tired. And Pulev, in the fights that he's lost against Joshua and against uh, Klitschko, he started off good in those fights. It just seemed to me that he's kind of a bully, but once he gets something done to him as far as like a little punishment, it seems like he kind of wilts what he did in those fights. This fight, that wasn't the case. You know what I mean? He was down for whatever was coming his way you know, trying to bring it back to Chisora or you're trying to rub Chisora up. He's just a big, solid, strong dude. The thing is, is that you would think that he's more powerful than he is, but he doesn't really have that much pop in his punches, but he's just so big that you can't really be getting hit by a big dude like that. But the way he throws his punches is weird because if you're just like right in front of him, he has a tough time getting off. And also, he has a tough time getting off against Jasor because Jasor, you know how he does that kind of Burt Cooper type. He's on one side, you know what I mean? And he was having a difficult time catching him. You know, he did a couple of times land a few solid punches, but and, and it went the other way as well. Like Jasor was having a difficult time hitting him just based on his stance. Um, so it was just it was an interesting fight the way it was playing out. Um, to me, this fight boiled down to two things, or a couple of things. One, if you thought that Pulev activity superseded Chisora because he did land more punches. So if you were thinking that, then you would have been favoring Pulev. Or if you favored Chisora because you felt he was landing the more effective shots. He wasn't landing as much, but he was landing the more eye-catching punches. And you can also make the case that Tesora, for the most, most of the fight, he was the aggressor um, in the fight. But on the flip side, you can say that Pulev was more the aggressor because Tesora, he kind of languished on the ropes a lot trying to conserve his energy. But all in all, man, it was a, a really good performance. And I thought that both guys went into this fight. I was thinking, I said, man, whoever, you know, wins this fight, then, you know, they, they probably should continue to fight. And if the person who loses then they should consider retiring. Neither one of these guys are going to retire, and I don't think they should retire because they put on such a really great performance um, yesterday. Um, but like I said, I think that Pulev, he caught a bad you know, hand because of a little bit of a home cooking that was going on you know, as far as the decision. But Chisora won by, by split decision. I want to say it was 116 uh, to 112 you had for Pulev, and then you had a 116-112 for Chisor, and then the other judge had it 116-114 for um, Warman Chisor. Now, as far as the punch stats, as far as the total punches, you had Chisor, he landed 171 punches, and Pulev, he landed 200. But like I said, Chisor is just a little bit more accurate. He landed a 32% clip, and Pulev at a 25% clip. And then when it comes to the power punches, they both landed the same amount of punches um, where it was 133 each. So the biggest thing though, that you probably would favor Chisora with would be the fact that he landed more body shots, you know? And so a considerable amount of body shots. And that was unexpected. The last couple of things I'm gonna say is this, is that either Chisora um, work on better head movement because that fight right there, that was the least I've seen him take a lot of heavy shots. He took some, but 
it's either the fact that he was he worked on that to preserve his career a little bit more, or it's the lack of accuracy that Pulev has, and that could be a combination of both. But if you haven't seen this fight, man, this is a really awesome fight. Um, candidate for fight of the year, kind of. Um, I would say it's probably like at least top. It's it's in the top ten so far. But you just had a lot of sloppy moments, and that's the reason why I can't give it the nod. But, man, both guys put on a wonderful performance. And then this is the last thing I'm going to say, is that Chisora, he said that after the fight, there's a couple of things that he mentioned. He said that, you know, Eddie, you know, now it's time for me to get a little caviar now. You know what I mean? I put a lot of work in, so I deserve to get compensated for it. So we talked to him about that. But the biggest thing is that he said that, man, I want to be able to say I fought all my peers you know, before I retire. He said, I don't have much left. You know, that true warrior that's in him. And he called out Deontay Wilder. <laughs> you know, that right there. I see that he he, he's a, he likes danger. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, I don't know. I'm not going to count the man out because he has such a heart. He's a warrior. Um, but, you know, great win. I'm glad to see that he was on the winning side yesterday. You got anything on that, Bill? Yeah, oh, man, I was just shocked on you calling out Deontay Wilder. But what was your scorecard for this fight, Will? Uh, I didn't. I was scoring. I was scoring it for like uh, the first eight rounds, and I thought that Pulev had a pretty sizable lead. And after the fight was over with, I thought that Pulev won. Now maybe it might change if I go back and watch it and I score. It could be, you know, I could, like I say, I could see how you could lean towards Chisora if you factoring in that he's at home and that he's going to get the benefit of the doubt. Now, if you just scoring it fairly, I don't see how Chisora won that fight. But at the same time, he's been on, on the bad end of such so many different decisions, at least four or five, that at some point he was going to get the nod in one of these close fights. All right. You want to cash out against Deontay Wilder. All right. Hey, like I said, man, you count the man out so many different times that you just never know, man, like what, what he's capable of and if he's able to land one of those, those shots because he's always in a fight because he's winging that right hand and that left, you know, and if he catch you, you know, it, 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 but at the same time, the likely scenario against the Wilder is that Wilder put him to sleep. You know, the thing that I noticed about Tesoro is this, is that anybody in history that is an up the middle type person who can, and I don't want to take away from his victory because he, man, he showed so much heart yesterday that I'm a huge fan now because that man, he's going to give you every ounce that he has. And they do need to pay him, you know, handsomely moving forward because he packed out the, the O2 yesterday. You know what I mean? And people, they love him. You know what I mean? But what I noticed about him is that any fighter who has an inside game where they, 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 they punch heavy, like up the middle, for instance. And back in the past, Evander Holyfield would have took him out maybe two, three rounds, like, cause he's just gonna be up the middle catching him with those punches and he won't be able to um, handle that. I'm gonna tell you who else is good that they kept him away from is um, Povetkin would eat him up. Like he, his inside game is too, he too heavy handed, like right there up the middle. And those guys, it's good that they keep him away from those type of guys. But anybody else, you know, with the exception of probably the upper echelon elite of the elite, then he's competitive against those guys. But all in all, man, great victory. You know, I just hope that he, he's able to leave the sport 
you know, with all his faculties because he does take a lot of punishment. But that's all I got on that, man. Let's go ahead and move back to San Antonio when you had Brandon Figueroa. He was in action yesterday against Carlos Castro. What did you think about Brandon yesterday? Yeah, there were things I liked about this fight and, and Brandon Figueroa's performance, but it was also things that I did not like. Overall, it was it was a good win for him, you know, getting his confidence back from, number one, uh, the loss to Stephen Fulton, which was a close loss, but still a loss. And number two, this is his first fight at uh, featherweight. And also Carlos Castro's first fight at featherweight also. But both these guys are were huge at 122, and they look pretty big at featherweight also. <laughs> it, is, it seems like they're, they're, they're about the same size or bigger than a lot of other featherweights also. So um, watching two was interesting. I thought Figueroa was doing, you know, trying to try to really, you know, put the the pressure and, and put his punches together on Castro, but Castro was punching with him, and Castro early on was successful in, you know, hitting Figueroa with more clean shots. I thought Castro was was winning more of the fight until he started getting caught, like in the third round when he went down uh, from a combination. It seems like Figueroa, he was really trying to warm himself up and, into those combinations and, and get uh, Carlos Castro in the middle of those kind of combinations. Now, when he, when he had Castro down, I mean, I don't know what Castro was thinking because a, a referee could have counted him out because he really – he took basically past the ninth count to get up. Uh, and he was aware. It wasn't like he was asleep or anything like that, like Tyson Fury. So he got back up. But he also was fighting his, his way back in the fight I thought he, he he was winning the fourth and fifth rounds. And I, and I thought he was really warming up even further, even in the sixth round when he, he started unloading a combination on Figueroa. But Figueroa, he, he did a, a step where he, he turned Castro around and started teeing off of him also. And, and Castro just couldn't sustain the attack that um, Figueroa was putting on him. Um, and the referee stepped in, which I thought was kind of an early stoppage. I thought I could have went maybe, you know, three seconds more, four seconds more. But, of course, we don't want fighters to get hurt or anything like that. Uh, and Castro didn't complain about, you know, the stoppage neither. Um, so Figueroa, he improves to, you know, 23-1-1 and with uh, 18 knockouts. Uh, Carlos Castro, he drops to... A twenty-seven and two with twelve knockouts. Um, the, the interesting, interesting thing about this win for Brandon Figueroa is I think he's going to have harder fights going forward because he can't really get over on on his size like he was doing in the past, and so he's going to have trouble with guys who are his size or bigger, and and or guys who can take his punches. And he's also going to have guys with uh, trouble with guys who can defend better against them because if he's against a guy that can move around a ring, even like what uh, Stephen Fulton was doing. Um, you know, Stephen Fulton also fought an inside fight against Figueroa also. But a guy like, I mean, even I'll say Gary Russell Jr., who's, who's going to move around the ring a lot, I think Figueroa is going to have a, a, a lot of trouble. Not saying he would lose, but he would have some trouble with guys like that. But it was still a good win. This was an eliminator, a WBC featherweight eliminator. So idealistically, they should look for making a fight between Brandon Figueroa and Ray Vargas, even though Vargas said yesterday he wants to fight Leo Santa Cruz. Either of those fights are winnable fights for him, but I think Brandon Figueroa is a harder fight for Ray Vargas than Leo Santa Cruz, in my opinion. 
it's interesting because even though Ray Vargas is moving up in weight, he's a tall guy. And I think Leo Santa Cruz will have trouble with the guy that's that tall that can use this, use their, their reach against him. Uh, and Figueroa is going to have trouble also because with the, the length of Vargas and his, his attributes. But it was still a good win. And, and if they make, decide to make Brandon Figueroa versus Ray Vargas, I'll be, I'll be happy to watch that fight. Yeah, I don't really have anything on Brandon Figueroa. I thought that that was, you know, a, a good win in a new weight class, you know, to see how he fares, you know, there and, and test the waters and whatnot. And it's going to be interesting to see what he does moving forward. This guys like that, um, typically to me, they don't fare well, you know, as they move up because, again, it, what you mentioned as far as him kind of relying on the size to overwhelm a smaller opponent, that that's not going to, you know, be in his favor, you know, as he faces bigger guys. And I think that you have more talent in his new weight class than you did in his previous weight class. Um, as far as the Warringtons, you got Lara, you got, you just mentioned Vargas. Even, well, I don't know about Kiko Martinez and, and guys like that, but I, for him, I think that he may want to, you know, test himself out against somebody like that. But I also think that guys like Navarrete, if he's still going to be campaigning at featherweight, I think that'd be a little bit too much for him. Um, but who knows? Who, who am I to say? You know? You got anything else on that? Yeah, I think a lot of those guys you mentioned, they're, they're just proven champions. I think Figueroa, he was more a guy who was – he was a champion, but he, he hadn't reached the, the level of competition that those guys that you mentioned has fought at 122. And he was pretty much just starting to get there. Now – had he gotten that win over Fulton and showed us a little bit more, it would have been different. But idealistically, he's a fresher guy than a lot of those guys. So, but at the same time, it's something that I see in him. I just can't see him faring well against that level of competition. These guys are more proven. You know, they they've been in the ring with with guys who who they've been in the ring with guys who do what Brandon Figueroa was doing. Well, I'm not sure Brandon Figueroa have seen a plethora of styles as that featherweight. But that's all I have. Yeah, I was going to say, some of them guys can hurt him, too. You know what I mean? Like, you got Navarrete. You got um, McSyle. Even though McSyle is – I just don't like the fact that he don't set his shots up. You know, he relies on that right hand a little too much. You got Lara, who can, you know, knock your block off. You know what I mean? And, and Gary Russell, he can write a tattoo and then still, you know, have enough power to, you know – if he doesn't sit you down, it's going to be enough where you're going to have you hesitant. You know what I mean? So a lot of that um, that he's going to have to deal with and, you know, but he still has time. He's so young that he can improve on his skills, hopefully, as he, he uh, progresses. Now, at this time, you know, we'd like to end things with current boxing topics. So we got about five, six different topics that we're going to discuss that's been currently, you know, going on in the sport of boxing. And the first thing, man, is that you got your, your man, you know what I mean? The Matrix, Vasil uh, Lomachenko. He, he's saying that he's ready to return back to the ring. And it's looking like it's going to be October uh, when he steps back into the square circle. You know, what are your thoughts on the Matrix return? I mean, it, it's, it's good for him to, to stay active. I know um, he's been at war with the, the, the war with Ukraine and, and Russia. So along with with uh, Alexander Ustik, you know these guys—they've been 
seeing, you know, battles and things of that nature and, and things that's normal fighters will see, but you know, they're trying to return to their, you know, what they do for a living. Um, but I'm just looking at what 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 he's probably going to do. I know eventually they're trying to move him to, to take on the winner of Devin Haney and George Kambosa, which more than likely is going to be Devin Haney winning that fight. But, you know, he's trying to return in October, you know, for a tune-up fight before that. So it was interesting to see who he's going to fight. And I'm, and I'm trying to look at the landscape of who would I want him to fight. And it's, it's hard, kind of hard to say, you know, really is at, at lightweight, it's, it's either guys I want to see him against, and then there's, like, guys I don't, I don't think he should fight. It's not, I don't think it's anyone who's, like, basically a, a tune-up who I haven't seen him against. The, the only people that I, I would want to see him against that I, I would – I'm not sure even, – even, I'm not sure I even consider this a tune-up, but this is a tough fight. But I'm not sure I can see it happening because of the promotional company. is him versus JoJo Diaz. I think that will be an interesting fight at lightweight. But I'm curious, who you see him going up against and tuning up against in October, Will? I get to that. But what do you mean, guys, you don't want to see him fight, though? Like, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, do you really want to see him fight Richard Comey again? You know what I'm saying? A guy of that nature or of that stature or a guy of that level. There's certain levels at lightweight. And I think there's a, a to me, there's a drop off of level. You know, you have, you know, the, 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 the Tank Davis, you have the Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia. Then you drop off into a level of like the, the Jackson Marinez and, and, and things of that nature or guys like that. Uh, now, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him against Frank Martin, who won last night. That's one guy I would want to see him against. But, you know, a lot of these, you know, guys, it's, it's a drop off of talent to me. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, what, what, how I'm gonna address this is, I'm going to first say, shout out to the dudes from the UK who who took offense, you know, to my comments that I made about their posts. They said that you know, return of the fallen king, and my response was, how? How is he a king? King of what? You know, you know. They also said that yeah, he's. To me, he's still, you know, top 10 powerful pound. And again, my question is how? He hasn't beaten any of the top lightweights. He has two losses. He has a loss against a 12 fight, a 12 loss fighter. He has a loss against a 15 win fighter. You know what I mean? He was dropped against Linares. How is he top 10 powerful pound? This is just directed to those guys who have that UK group. You know, I can rattle off at least 13, 15, guys who have done more in the past two to three years than he has, you know? So that, that just wanted to send that out to them. And also, yeah, and, and that one guy who said that he wants to bet, I'll take the bet. If you're talking about Devin Haney or Shakur Stevenson, if he's going to fight those guys, I will take your bet, whatever that bet is, you know, because I can use them pounds. You understand what I'm saying? I can use a little bit more quid in my, in my bank account. So you, you sir, I'll take that bet. But also, shout out to Vasil Lomachenko, and I'm looking forward to your return, sir. Um, but to answer your question, Bill, what I'd like to see him fight, is it too much to take on a Pitbull Cruz? Is that too much? No, no, it's not. But I, I, I look at Pitbull Cruz as being a top echelon fighter. He's not a tune-up for anybody. To me, he's not a tune-up. He's, he's a fighter that that I look at him as, as kind of like a prospect that's going into the upper echelon. We saw what he did, what he did against 
you know, Tank Davis, you know, that, that he belongs there. So I, I won't mind seeing that fight, though. Okay. But that's a hard fight for your first fight back if you've been off a year or two. Yeah, it could be. You know, it all depends. I, you know, I'm trying to figure out, like, they call this man all of these different matrices and all of that type of stuff. You got to show me something there, man. <laughs> like, like, why are we calling you all of these type of things, you know, if, if you know, you can't live up to the bill? You know what I mean? Like, beating Richard Comey and Nakatani, that's not doing it for me. You know what I mean? But anyway, um, let's move on to another topic. You got... April, or I'm sorry, not April, but August 6th, you got uh, Jake Paul. He was going to be back in action against Tommy Fury, but Tommy Fury, he's backed out once again. And now he's going to face Hasim Rockman Jr. What are your thoughts on this new opponent for Jake Paul? <laughs> Normally, uh, I, don't, I'm, I, I don't care for a lot of Jake Paul's fights, especially when it considering that he was going to fight, you know, Tommy Fury, Tommy Fury was probably going to be the only, the first actual trained, legitimate boxer that he's faced. But since Tommy Fury can't, you know, be part of this fight due to, I think, his visa issues, I see Robin Jr. is being asked to step in as a replacement. And, and you know, I've been, you know, re looking online and researching stuff, and people are actually thinking Jake Paul is going to win this fight. And I, I don't know. I can't see it. It's saying... Look at this. I see Rama Jr. He lost his last fight. He was stopped. I see Rama Jr. is a legit heavy. I mean, as far as size, he's a real heavyweight, like size and everything, muscle and all. And also, he's a legitimately trained boxer with you know actual power. Jake Paul is, is not really that, you know. I mean, I think he, he's taking it as far as he can. And I and I think in this fight, he's he's bitten off more than he can chew. Now, Jake Paul has surprised me a lot, but I, I don't know. I can't, I can't bet against Hasid Rahman against someone who's not a – Rahman Jr. against someone who's not a, a trained boxer like that. I just can't. Yeah, this is interesting, man. Like, I don't know what to think. You know, first of all, let me address Tommy Fury. Like, that's crazy that they were saying how even though he signed a fight, it was, it was an article where they said that he was about two stones – heavier than the weight limit that they were supposed to fight at. So a stone is about 14. So he was like 28 pounds heavier than he was supposed to. And the fighters around the corner. So he wasn't even training already. And then he backed out. So first, please don't I'm making another announcement about Jake Paul and Tommy Fury fighting. It's like back in the day. I don't know, Phil, you might be a little too young, but every so often, like a long time ago, the Yankees used to fire, George Steinbrenner used to fire uh, Billy Martin. Like it was just like an annual thing. Like, he, like five times he fired him and hired him. And this is, you know, very similar. It's getting more and more ridiculous every time they make an announcement, then it's like he backs out for whatever reason. Um, now this fight with Rockman Jr., if this isn't, if the fix isn't in, then this could be a huge challenge for Jake Paul. Now, Rockman, he was KO'd in his last fight. He's 12 and 1 with six KOs. He's 6 3. Now, that KO loss, like I said, was three months ago against, uh, I want to say, James Morrison, Tommy Morrison's son. He got knocked out in the fifth round. And he got clipped with something where he was kind of sleek out on his feet. And then Morrison finished him off. And again, that's not a, enough time really to come back after being concussed like he was. 
Now, they also have history together because they sparred with each other. But Rockman is saying that he was just like taking it easy on Jake. You know, he's going to take it light on him because he didn't want to hurt him. You know what I mean? He got this dude who's really a novice and he's not going to be serious with him. But Jake didn't know that he was he, he was like not trying hard. He was doing everything he could. He was making it as it was an actual fight. So anytime that he had success, he's like, yeah, you know, I did this and I did that. And, you know, everybody else in the gym is like smirking because they know that sparring is one thing and boxing, you know, the actual fight is another thing. Um, now, Rockman, he isn't the most skilled fighter, you know, based on the clips that I saw. And he did just get stopped and hurt really badly. So I don't know. And like you said, size, like he's a big dude. But if Jake ends up clipping him, but then what if he clips Jake? I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's going to be very intriguing. If the fix is not in, then this is going to be a really good matchup, man. So I'm looking forward to this one to see, you know, what's actually going to happen in this one. Do you give Jake credit if he gets the victory in this one? <laughs> now that you brought up the fix, I don't know. I didn't even <laughs> think about that. Like, I mean, before you say anything about the fix, if Jake Paul would win his fight, I would have been shocked and like, okay, I'm a believer. But now you brought that up, it puts a little doubt in my mind because I'm like, I'm looking on paper, there's no way he can win this fight. But you brought up an interesting thing about Tommy Fury, you know, having to, to lose two stones for this fight. Like, I mean, what weight would this fight be at? Because that could be the catch because Jake Paul is kind of a cruiserweight, maybe, you know, if he eats up to it. Robin Jr. is legit heavyweight who fights around like what 220 you know what i'm saying his highest he's fought is like what 260 260 plus so he's a big guy so is, is he losing all his weight to fight jake paul so i don't know i might i might tune into this fight just to see the uh the the the, the weird knockout of the year <laughs> yeah but see i don't think that unless it's a certain weight that rockman jr has to come in that that might be the case but it can't be the cruiserweight limit. It can't be because Rockman, like you say, is just too big. Like that wouldn't be fair. And he said that when they ended up contacting him, it was right after Fury canceled. He said, so they called him right after. He was like, he couldn't believe it. He's like, man, y'all serious? And so if it is, if the fix is in, maybe he just doesn't know yet. I don't know because he's playing on way too good right now, way too well. If the fix is in, because he like he's scratching his head, like you serious? You think that you can beat me? And he was like, "Man, I'm gonna show this dude." Like I was just playing around with Spar. So I don't know. Uh, 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 last few things, Bill. Um, when we were out, you had Joe Joyce. He fought last week against Christian Hammer. Uh, what did you think about how uh, Joyce performed in his last bout last week? You know what? I, I like Joe Joyce. He does what he does, and he performs to the best of his ability. It was a good performance for, for what he was. You know, um, Joyce always utilizes his jab, which I like. Despite it being, you know, his lack of speed, his obvious lack of speed when you watch him, he, he has an awkward jab. Like, it's, it's weird that he times it well. Like, even though it's slow, he throws it off beat, so you never know when it's going to come. And even though it's slow, it, it always – always catches you it's almost like <laughs> and, and i hate to bring up bring up this guy because he's a legend but george foreman when he came back george foreman was considered slow but he always he was kind of offbeat which he always just catch you like he just knew 
in his head, like, this is how I'm going to get you. And this is how it's going to happen. Joe Joyce, a, a lot of his future is going to depend on how good his chin is really, because he takes a lot of punishment within trying to throw those, you know, jabs and punches and all that. He gets hit in the process. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see once he starts stepping up in competition and fighting guys who are bigger, stronger, and hit hard. And it's hard to see him beating somebody like a, a Deontay Wilder who will, who will hit you if you're just sitting there, you know? So he takes too much shots that, that um, for my liking, and I'd be careful if he fought a stronger fighter, but uh, it was a good performance for him. I mean, I, I can't stress enough that I, I like the way he utilizes the jab. He's one guy, like, who's proven, you know, just because you may lack some of these physical attributes, like speed and all that, doesn't mean you can't use other things to your advantage. And he, he's just great at timing his opponents and knowing what they're going to do. Uh, so that even when he does take those shots, it's not really – some some of those shots are not a, as hard as, as as if he just got caught slipping. But it was a good performance. Well, I don't know, man. Like, what in this fight, what ended up happening is what I thought would happen as far as the outcome. I thought that he would win by third, fourth round stop. It's just based on what I've seen Christian Hammer fight in the past. He gets hit a little bit too much against the, you know, uh, good fighters, big punchers, and then he finds a way either out or he's just, it's just too much for him. Right. And so that ended up happening. That was the outcome. He ended up landing, I think, a body shot or something like that. He couldn't take it. Um, and then that was it. The referee waved the fight off. Now, the issue is he hasn't figured out a way to avoid big right hands. And Hammer was nailing them like the first two rounds. He just was running them in the shots. They say that they measured Joyce's cranium and that he has a huge cranium um bigger than like just most people and that's good for him in terms of his punch resistance but two things one he's going to, he's too slow for guys like parker parker would have whitewashed him last fight that cranium i don't care how large your cranium is you know you got guys like wilder you can knock out a buffalo you know what i mean and you keep getting hit by somebody like that then you know you is it's going to have its effects on you. And then I just think that based on his skill and lack thereof in certain areas that guys like Fury, AJ, Usyk, Ruiz, Ortiz, I think they all would pretty much smoke him. You know what I mean? Just based on what I saw. I like him. He's a good guy. You know what I mean? But he has to work on that defense. And I'm not so sure he's able to because he's so slow. All right, Bill, also in the news recently, there were reports that Ryan Garcia has had some uh, kind of choice words for Canelo. I didn't get a chance to see everything, but I do know this is that in one of his interviews, he was kind of picking Triple G to defeat Canelo. Uh, what are your thoughts on Ryan's comments towards his former, um, uh, you know, kind of like mentor? <laughs> yeah. Um... Ryan needs to just stick his head down and just keep just start fighting and, and get the points that he needs to get. Um, like you, I mean, I've heard some stuff. I haven't heard everything because it's really hard to keep up with everything that Ryan Garcia says and, and do unless you follow him on social media, which I, I really don't. I mean, I follow some stuff, but it's hard to follow every single thing he does because he's very active. Um, 
but it, it's this beat between him and Canelo is like I don't, I don't know who he think he is that he can win this. It takes more than just popular popularity with the ladies to to you know win a, a beef like that. And it's like, why are you talking? Why are you beefing with a boxer who is like what five six weight classes? You're talking trash about a, a, one a le- someone who's, who's who's shaping up to be a legend, and they're like five weight classes you know away from you. There's no way y'all are ever gonna fight. It's nothing that neither of you two can really do for one another. I mean, Ryan Garcia definitely doesn't bring anything to, to, to Canelo. Um, I don't understand it. And I, I, I get it if, if you're just picking a fighter to beat another fighter. Cool. But if you're picking a fighter to be another fighter based off your beef with that fighter, that's, I mean, come on. That's childish. It's like, and I keep forgetting that Garcia is only like 23 years old. Um, so, I, so and, and you know what? I used to always, you know, compare him to Amir Khan, and, and I'll apologize to Amir Khan, even though Ryan Garcia, I'll, I'll say this, Ryan Garcia might even have a better chin to, he may prove out to be have a better chin than, than Amir Khan. But where my, I think my comparison was unfair was at least when Amir Khan talked trash, it's against guys around his weight class. The only time he talked trash about someone who was not in his weight class was, wasn't even trash, it was just him putting out that rumor that he was sparring with uh, Andre Ward that Andre Ward said never happened. But also, Amir Khan will also get in the ring with a lot of tough guys over and over again. And he wasn't afraid to become, you know, to, 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 to go for the gusto and go for the titles and all that stuff. Ryan Garcia has never even fought for a world title yet. Like, he doesn't have a world title to his belt. To You know, to and he's, he's caught out all these fighters that he – he doesn't have intention of getting in the ring with, and if I'm not mistaken, he was a, the uh, the mandatory at one point for Devin Haney's WBC strap. You know, he could have had he could have had that fight if he wanted to, uh, and, and and that's why I'll say is that is the is the unfair comparison between him and Amir Khan is Amir Khan is not afraid to take a loss. I think Ryan Garcia is just playing it safe, and he, if you're gonna talk like that. Put your put your mouth you put your your fist where your mouth is and go fight the fights that you need to fight. You know that, that's all I'm gonna say about Ryan Garcia. I'm, I'm gonna think of a new name for him. I'm not, I'm not gonna even disrespect Amir Khan like that anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it could be a misunderstanding um, because this would be in Ryan's defense because the two things that I saw most recently where people were saying that he did Canelo is that he was saying that somebody asked him who he thought was going to win. And he said that Triple G had a good chance because he doesn't know if Canelo's in a good space mentally going into this fight. And he thinks that Triple G is going to put everything into this last opportunity against Canelo. So that's what he was saying as far as that. That was just his opinion. And then the other thing was, where they also thought that he was kind of taking a dig at Canelo is that he said that, you know, when, when people mentioning him and Canelo and they saying that, dudes, you haven't, you know, done nearly what Canelo did. Canelo was a champion by the time that he was 23, 24, fighting top level guys. And so his response was, well, I don't, I don't have the luxury of getting a belt against somebody like Matthew Hatton. 
And so I can understand where he's coming from because at the same time, he doesn't have that luxury because the guys who have belts tank, Devon, uh, Devin Amy, you know what I mean? That's a little bit more challenging than Patton, you know, was at the time. But Canelo's response to all of that, because Canelo just feels like he's upset because they split and he doesn't have to do that. And I saw that Canelo was saying, man, just do your job, focus on your career, you know, with, you know, attempting to be a world champion first, you know, then once you do that, you can possibly talk about, you know, others. And because you haven't accomplished, you know, I can always say nothing, you know what I mean? And so he emphasized that, you know, I can, I, I get it. And, and I think that sometimes when you are asked questions, it's a right way to go about doing it. You know what I mean? Where I think that if he would have, probably explained it initially better the first time, then he wouldn't have had such backlash. You know, like you said, Ryan is popping. He's done a lot, you know, for himself when it comes to the social media, you know, gathering that huge following. But in boxing, he really hasn't done anything. And you can't really, it's going to come across the wrong way when you say certain things about you pretty much a legend in Canelo. You know what I mean? You just you just can't do it. It sounds like you're ungrateful. It sounds like you've been spiteful. And I just think that that's where this is um, going. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's much to do about nothing. But at the same time, he could have handled it better because he is a very articulate young man. And I, I know, I mean, we live and we learn. You know, like you say, he is 23 years old. And so hopefully moving forward, he doesn't make the same mistake because you're going to get a lot of backlash when you say something that remotely sounds negative about a, a, a icon in a sport. Um, the last thing I'm going to ask you is this, is that Ryan, he's going to be facing Javier Fortuna, you know, next Saturday. You know, what, what, what do you think the likely outcome is going to happen in that one? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting fight. And on paper, this is like one of Ryan Garcia's, you know, strongest challenges is Javier Fortuna. The only one who who is uh, was a bigger challenge or possibly was a bigger challenge was Luke, was Luke Campbell, uh, which was a, a great victory for, for uh, Ryan Garcia in hindsight. Um, but Garcia coming in this fight, 22-0, 18 knockouts. You know, Fortuna, 37-3-1 with 26 knockouts. Uh, I, I look at uh, some a lot of things like, that could give Garcia trouble. Like Javier Fortuna has an amateur pedigree that's like crazy. Like I think he's like he was like close to two hundred amateur fights. He only had like fifteen losses. Uh, he's, he's definitely a uh, a slick boxer. He has a better experience. He's been in the ring with a lot of different styles and things of that nature. So I think he does pose a threat to Ryan Garcia uh, at this stage in Garcia's career, I think Garcia is just too talented. And I think Fortuna has a way late in fights of, you know, he fades a little bit and he he gives away fights. Like, I thought that Robert Easter fight was winnable. And he had a few other fights that I think he could have did more in as he was fading. Fights that he won, that I thought he was kind of, you know, fading uh, in the end. And I think Ryan Garcia has too much youth to, to, to you know, to spare and I think he's gonna, I think Garcia is actually gonna put it on him in this fight late in the fight. Uh, and I think he'll probably win a decision. Yeah, I think that um, Ryan is a highly skilled fighter, but he has some deficiencies. You know, he has that, sometimes he has trouble cutting off the ring. Sometimes he has trouble, um, 
you know, well, he's chinny, you know what I mean? He could be chinny. He saw what happened in, in the Luke Camel fight. And I think that his attention sometimes for all 12, you know, it kind of comes and it goes at certain points. And he can't really have that problem in this one. And uh, Fortuna, he has power, you know, and Fortuna also is a fighter that does really well against taller fighters. Like he knows how to fight taller fighters. And also on the flip side of that, Ryan Garcia, he has a lot of success against those guys around five, six, which is Javier Fortuna. He lines those guys up, hit them with something like flesh on the chin, uppercut, a left hook. And that's all she wrote. So, you know, that's going to be what's going to be at play in this one. But I'm leaning towards King Rye. I think King Rye is going to, you know, step up to the occasion, you know, mainly because of these things. One is because that right there, as far as Ryan being able to step up when the lights are bright, I think he does that better than Fortuna. Fortuna, sometimes he kind of lets you down in certain moments, you know, when you think that this is going to be the fight that's going to put him, you know, near the top or at the top, you know, I've seen that happen to him on, on a few occasions. I think that on a few occasions, I think Ryan is a star. I'm not so sure if Fortuna is ready for stardom, even though he's in his mid-30s. I just think that you have guys who um, sometimes they just show up, you know, when, it, when it's that opportunity for them to have all the lights on me. You know what I mean? They just can't perform under those circumstances. And I think that Fortuna may be one of those guys. The other thing is I think Fortuna looked kind of small when I saw him against Jojo Diaz. So I'm just imagining what size advantage Ryan is going to have because he's a big lightweight. And the last thing is that Fortuna, like I said, he's 5'6". And I think that at some point, Ryan is going to line him up and he's going to land one on the kisser. And I think that he's going to, the fight's going to stop. Fortuna, once you get to hitting him, I don't like how he responds to it. I've seen him in fights. Like I said, I saw him in Dallas in one fight where he was fighting a bigger opponent. And once it looked like it wasn't any possible way for him to win, he found a way out of that fight. I didn't like his body language in a Jojo Diaz fight after Jojo Diaz started to, you know, catch his rhythm in the latter part of the fight and the way he was moving around a lot. So I suspect once either he gets tagged or once one of those left hooks whistles by his nose and chin that he's not going to be looking to be nearly as aggressive as he is once that moment happens. So I think at some point, I would say more so towards the middle of the fight, it'll be stopped. So I'm giving this uh, seven rounds. And I say that Ryan wins by TKO in the seventh round. Anything else you got before we wrap things up, Bill? Oh, all right. Ryan Garcia, seven round TKO. It's Javier Fortuna. Yeah, book it. Yeah, book it. <laughs> all right. No, yeah. no, good episode. Man, good episode, man. How you feeling? You all right? Like mentally, uh, is, is, are you in a good space? You know what I mean? Are you fatigued? Or, you know, you can go another six, seven topics. I, I can go more topics, you know. But, but you know, I don't get paid for overtime. You know, like Floyd, like Mike Tyson would say or something. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's a little more challenging when you have two, you know, as opposed to three. But I like the pace that we were at today. You know what I mean? We didn't try to rush it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It goes a lot. 
it's, it's definitely a faster pace when it's two people. And it's like, sometimes it's hard to, you know, you're switching topics and you're trying to reconcile your thoughts and like try to gather your thoughts together. It's like going on and on when it's three people. Yeah. We, yeah. We have that rhythm already, you know, and it, we can, we, we also have time to like, okay, I got Danny saying this, Will saying this, and what do I think versus having to, you know, keep on switching back and forth. But I think we did pace ourselves very well today. Yeah. But it's also when you have three, a lot of the points that, you can you don't have to say everything because it's going to be said with one of the other two and so when it's just two then it's like okay you don't even really have time to take the information in to say you know i don't even have to say that i don't have to say that you just have to come with what it is that you have it's a little bit more challenging but all in all man i thought that the episode went really well hopefully you enjoyed it we'll definitely be back next week Oh, we got, yeah, like I said, we got Ryan next week. It might be a couple other fights, man, but I'm looking forward to that one. Next week's my birthday weekend. And then the following week, Val, I'm not sure, you know what I mean? I'll be prepared to to, to talk, because I think when I'm out and about, you know, as far as the country's concerned, I think Danny Garcia is going to be fighting. So I might want to chime in. That week, I might just call in, you know, for ah. You know, okay. we'll, we'll see. We'll see. That's Jose, the, oh yeah, Jose Benavidez. Yeah, 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 man. You want to, man, put your prediction out there, you know, soon so we can go ahead and uh, get you locked and loaded on that. Yeah. All in all, man, good episode, Bill. Appreciate you. On that note, we out. Peace. Peace.